great. But here's what he did. Rhyme it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Oh, please just rhyme it. And he really gets into it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Yes, of course. We will you don't even have to think about it. So let's rhyme it today. Rhyme it. Yes. We are going to rhyme it. Just what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of rams brothers i'm your host dean and i'm joined as always by my brother and the other great host of this show nick and nick we're talking about some coaching vacancies that have been filled as of recent and some more prospects coming off of our really fun episode last week where we were talking about a ton of prospects we feel like could fit in rounds one through three. So a continuation of that, but first and most importantly, how are you, my good brother? I am great. The San Francisco 49ers are not Super Bowl champions, yeah. which has just filled me with joy for a lot of days. Why do you not know the overtime rules? It feels like Andy Reid and that entire coaching staff all throughout the week were preparing that Kansas City Chiefs team for an overtime situation, hypothetically. But the San Francisco 49ers, they want the ball third. Uh, you know, it's coaching. It's it's a lot of different things, and it's now going to go down to the reputation of Kyle Shanahan as to where it's three times now he's not able to finish the big game. I don't think three is fair, to be honest with you. you I think two is fair. I the 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 twenty eight three Dan Quinn one is should not be on him, to be honest with you. Yeah, fair. But and I, also I he had to go up against Patrick Mahomes, who's probably going to go down as the greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah, um, yeah. in both of those. So Shanahan's a great coach. I I know it. I feel like he did know the rules. I don't know. It just feels weird. It feels like an excuse. Two things. Extraordinarily happy that San Francisco lost and collapsed and choked once again in the Super Bowl. But second, having to not play Patrick Mahomes in the 2021 Super Bowl, perhaps a blessing in disguise. And also a situation that I wanted to present itself again in a Super Bowl. Hopefully Rams versus Chiefs. We could see a rematch of that incredible game where it was what 46 to 41, but with Matthew Stafford versus Patrick Mahomes. Also a guy that Mahomes has said he's idolized and has watched growing up and has based a lot of his game after. So I would like to see that from a head-to-head quarterback standpoint instead of Brock Purdy versus Patrick Mahomes. But we'll see. Hopefully it, it presents itself soon. That would be awesome. We would we, <laughs> we would totally take that. If the, us in the Super Bowl is great. I am so happy we didn't have to face him in 2021. You're absolutely right. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was huge. It was a huge reason why we have the Lombardi. I couldn't stop thinking about it the entire game. So as the coaching updates continuously unwind, the Rams are filling some staff vacancies. And we just saw today that Jake Peets is on his way to the Seattle Seahawks. So kind of following along the lines of Shane Waldron, who is now the offensive coordinator with the Bears. So Jake Peets, he signs with the Seahawks as their pass game coordinator. So from the specialist with the Rams to coordinator with the Seahawks. So a little bit of a promotion there for Jake Peets. Again, following the Shane Waldron mold of being able to go from um, a coordinator position um, or a, an analyst to a coordinator position or a specialist. And now he's he's able to kind of get an opportunity with the uh, Seattle Seahawks. So interesting there, something to kind of keep an eye on, see how Seattle's offense kind of continuously progresses. Giff Smith was the big hiring for us. He replaced Eric Henderson uh, to be the defensive line coach and run game coordinator. Sean McVay convinced him to stay in Los Angeles 
from the Chargers. He was the interim head coach. And this is a hire that I felt like was directly correlated with Chris Shula's growth as the defensive coordinator. It entirely relies on the pre-existing relationship that Sean McVay had previously established with Brandon Staley. But I feel like for the development of Chris Shula, you're going to need somebody that understands defenses inside and out, understands it from a collegiate level all the way up to the pro level and has experience from Arkansas, Georgia, Georgia, Southern Tulane. And then with Buffalo, Tennessee, the Chargers in San Diego, the Chargers when they were in Los Angeles, and then obviously as an outside linebackers coach in 2022, and then eventually progressed into an interim head coach, outside linebackers coach. So a guy that has been well on his way, and it feels necessary when you lose some key staff members like Raheem Morris and Jimmy Lake and some of the other defensive minds that have walked out of the building in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it, it's smart to have somebody – like it's it's great that they felt strong enough to hire within with Shula – um, but to bring like somebody a little bit from the outside, uh, you know, didn't have to move far. Jeff Smith, uh, honestly, I thought did a really good job as the interim head coach for, for the Chargers outside of that one Raiders game where they got absolutely <laughs> pummeled, where they gave up like 50 points in like the third in, in within three quarters. Uh, but and, and just also, it's not shocking to me at all that the Seattle Seahawks took another one of our um, coaching staff yeah, people of course because it feels like that happens almost once a year. Yeah, Raheem Morris was a finalist for the head coaching job, it felt like, and they were interviewing some other staff members as well. So, the, you know, you take all those things into consideration. Then Giff Smith, like, and you look at some other personnel members from the Chargers, you look at a Joey Bosa, you look at a Khalil Mack, some other guys on the defensive line who I feel like, have kind of overstayed their welcome for the Chargers or are kind of on an expiring contract. We feel like we could kind of reposition and maybe get that player in the building for the Rams. That could be a situation that presents itself also. So when you bring in some of these outside coaches, there's also other personnel and some players that we feel like, and some other staff members even, that can kind of round out this coaching staff. So good things there. Giff Smith is going to be a reliable member of the coaching staff moving forward. Great, great hire. Another guy, John Streicher the coordinator of football strategy. So this is kind of like a new position for Sean McVay on his coaching staff. I, when you take into consideration the way that this role is going to take shape and it very much is still doing so, um, it's things like in-game situations. It's things like assisting with timeout usage, clock management, situational football. You saw some things rear their ugly head in the Lions game in the wild card round in terms of timeout usage and delay of games. Next stuff you and I were talking about before the episode even started. This is a guy who's going to be some brain power and brain trust for Sean McVay, not only on the sidelines, but all throughout the offseason, all throughout the, the meetings, everything that happens during the week to be able to just kind of work outside of his mind and be able to commit and organize Sean McVay's mind on game day. Hey, friends call him stretch too. He's a guy that can get into the ear of, of a ref and get into the ear of other coaching staff members and is very, very well liked around the league. So feels like another really good hire for the Rams. Coordinator of football strategy. Almost, I mean, it's kind of like a new position. Uh, it, it, it's yeah. somebody that seems to be like running the numbers. Like you said, we talked about the wild card game. And before the like before the episode, and I just mentioned that Sean McVay really likes to, if he foresees the delay a game, he is running to the refs, sprinting as we've seen, like running to call the timeout, because he'd rather have the you know lose the timeout than take the 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 delay a game or take the penalty or whatever it, you know. And I wonder if this guy is kind of going to step in and 
if the if this was a Sean McVay hire or if this was like a higher up hire where it was like, we want somebody that's going to kind of be able to come in and control our timeout usage because what happened in that Lions game, Lions get the ball back and they get to ice the game with a single first down. So, and the game's over because we had one timeout left and that timeout usage kind of ended up biting them in the ass. So it, it, th this one is probably the most interesting of the hires to me so far because something about it, does feel like it could have been not a McVeigh decision to, to bring in this person. Yeah. And even if so, if, if it wasn't a McVeigh decision and then he met with him and signed off on it and agreed yeah. that that's all good things for a 38 year old coach to still be able to be, you know, not stubborn in your ways, not arrogant, but can take some outside criticism, especially in game strategy on game day, which has always been important for Sean McVeigh. He wants to be able to better organize himself and focus on calling plays and executing his offense. So yeah. this, it can't be a bad thing. You know, they let Rams lost some coaching fellows. KJ Black was a coaching fellow. It's a term that we laugh about, but he went along with Raheem Morris to Atlanta. So this could be a, you know, part of a, of a vacancy being filled. Um, and then coordinator the next guy, just, I, coordinator of football strategy, AKA head of the fellows. Yeah. I like that better than just coaching fellow um, and bring in some more fellows if you need to. You know, bring in uh, Andrew Whitworth to consult with the offensive line. <laughs> bring Mike Mucek back. Uh, we talked about that in previous years. Chili Davis is the next one, the special teams assistant that was just hired from Kansas State. He's hired as the special teams quality control coach um, from Kansas State. He's going to be the special teams assistant replacing Jeremy Springer, who was promoted um, and just became the Patriots special teams coordinator. Um, so we're keeping Chase Blackburn. So there's no confusion. Chili Davis is just coming in and helping as a special teams assistant. But Kansas State's special teams, if you go look over the last five years, has been a juggernaut. They're really, really good in terms of punt coverage, returns, formations, doing some things that are creative from a special teams perspective that can give you advantages, that can flip the field, and that put your offense in better positions um, and, and put your defense in better starting positions as well. Formerly with Washington, uh, New Mexico State, he did not play – for the Los Angeles Angels. If you go look up him up on Wikipedia, Julie Davis is going to filter you immediately to a baseball player that played for the Angels. Not him. Julie Dog Davis is the new special teams assistant for the Rams, and I think more help replacing Jeremy Springer, who was well on his way to probably being promoted as a special teams coordinator with the Rams. So any you know, you look at the Kansas State special teams is actually a pretty good unit. I, I feel like special teams is more than any other unit is about hustle. And if you can bring in somebody that's going to, you know, generate hustle, I, yeah. it's a positive hire. And, it, and really Draft it, too. it, it yeah. cannot get worse than last year. It, it can't, it just can't. No, and look towards the bottom of the draft, too, for kids from Kansas State. You know, kids from similar programs, like Kansas State, from New Mexico, places where he's had experience to where you could fill out the back half of your roster with special teams talent. All right, prospects. Xavier Leggett is the first prospect that I want to transition over to. I know we're kind of having a continued conversation of players we feel like can fit within the first three rounds. These are some guys that trickle into rounds two, three, four, and maybe even round five. I got four names for you. Xavier Leggett is number one. And the reason why I feel like he is number one is because 
I looked back at the way that the Rams have drafted wide receivers in the past. I looked at Tutu Atwell. I looked at Van Jefferson. Both fit the mold of X receivers, but both two different kinds of receivers. But they like to target second-round receivers with first-round talent, size, and ability at this position to play the X. And I feel like if you could find a player that can rotate with Tutu Atwell, play alongside of Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup, uh, it's going to be extraordinarily valuable. Um, and I feel like two things I really look for in receivers for Rams. One is position versatility, right? A guy that's able to line up at all three receiver positions, which is the F, the flanker, the Z, and then the X. Um, and then the other ability is, is to be able to run block and block an open space when our skill players have the ball in their hands and they're trying to create for themselves. I feel like Xavier Leggett clearly fits the mold of an X receiver. The size, the length, the strong hands, it's all there. It was initially measured at 6'3", senior ball measured at 6'1", 223. Um, but the ability to make contested catches stretch the field vertically. He knows how to attack defensive backs' blind spots and knows how to get his own leverage. I've seen him line up outside of the numbers and also offset in the Z and as a power slot option. He's a total, total nightmare um, in terms of a matchup. And the lowest, fourth lowest drop percentage at 2.7%. He was tied for eighth with 85% catchable targets caught with many of his catches being fully extended, leaving his feet and making his quarterback look really good. Um, I feel like he's a, a really, it's a problem after he makes a catch. Um, everything after the catch is big, strong, physical. He just has some issues in sitting down in some zones and recognizing some coverages pre-snap. And all that stuff needs work, but it's all stuff that the Rams is coaching staff can coach him up on. He is, I feel like has first round talent. We'll probably go in the second round and the testing may kind of, you know, put him somewhere in the middle, but talented, talented kid that will the, be a good. Throw. The yak yards after catch. I think the Rams have probably the most, if not, it's absolutely up there. It seems like their receivers are all about, I mean, Puka and Cooper and uh, the Robert Woods back in the day. And then even Demarcus Robinson, a lot of it was, it was, you know, catching it and then having, you know, set up blocks for you already and then being able to make moves with your feet. And I think he absolutely fits in that. I also think if they're not going to re-sign Demarcus Robinson, exactly, this is a good pick, but I, and you know, it's, it's probably better to go younger, but Demarcus Robinson had a stretch where he scored a touchdown and like, five games in a row last year. Yeah, like he was, he was a really great receiver and, and fit into the role outside of that, like weird giants game where I think he fumbled or had like a ball that was like supposed to be caught, made it turn into an, an, an interception. Um, it, it, everything I saw from him was great, but he, well, he was also a rent a guy. So if you're, if, oh, if, if you're going to get somebody like Xavier to bring him in to be like automatically, you know, in the rotation, I'm, I'm all for that, especially if you can get him in the second round. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe next year you look to bring in a 2-2 outwell replacement if you don't re-sign him because he's going into the last year of his contract. And then you have that other X receiver already in the building, and then you could bring in another player like a Brandon Cooks who would be a free agent, more of a field stretcher, smaller player that can help to fill out that wide receiver room. Get him in the breakfast club. You know, they'll, it doesn't matter who it is. I feel like any receiver who's drafted by the Rams early on can improve drastically year over year. I feel like 2-2 outwell is probably the best example of that although we, we still wish he was a little bit better than he currently is. It's um, funny. I remember in the, uh, in the Lions uh, wild card game, uh, I was sitting there and my friend was like, 
you know, I haven't really heard Tutu's name called. And then Tutu Atwell, touchdown, like immediately after. It was, it was hilarious. Tutu also, was the huge. Breakfast Club, I think that's more of an exclusive group than, like, I, I don't think anybody can just ask and, and, and they're invited. No, yeah. And shout out Tutu, the final week of the season, too, is he showed up um, in a big spot for Carson Wentz. But yeah, you're right. Like, it's a very, very exclusive club. You got to be part of Nine and Dime and Hookah. I feel like that is the club. It's, it's those three guys, and that's probably it. So, and I bet Puka really like you know they were probably reluctant to let him in at first. Yeah. Speaking of Puka, let's talk about a player that Puka Nakua follows on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, this is another player from BYU, and it's a player in Kingsley uh, Sua Mataya, who I feel like at six four two uh, two what is he three twenty nine pounds. He's only 21 years old. He's a tackle prospect who has legitimate experience and success at both left tackle and right tackle. Immediately huge. Immediately that stands out to me. But it's it's not only that that's going to impress people. It's the versatility over the last couple of years. But I feel like it's the speed at the combine that's going to freak some people out. Uh, when I watch him, I feel like it's it's very, very clear that he has the necessary range, the ability to redirect the ability to stay a tackle and play on an island all by himself because of his athletic abilities. And from a technical standpoint, he shows exactly how good he could be with his burst and his quickness and his ability to get to his landmarks on combo blocks and climbs with just sheer mass and force to uproot and wall off defenders. Like that's the kind of player that I want. It's the kind of player that plays with the mean streak um, that is related to Penny Sewell, Penny Sewell's cousin, that could potentially thrive in a duo scheme. Maybe hasn't run a ton of it in college, but if there's any weaknesses in his game, it's probably um, in run blocking, and that's something that a duo scheme and double teams can can help to kind of you know disguise a little bit. Um, and with the Rams' tackle future at tackle being completely unsure, especially a left tackle at Alaric Jackson, this is a player that you could bring in and immediately compete. He could immediately comp compete at left tackle. He could do things that Joe Newboom never did and give Alaric Jackson a legitimate competition at left tackle. And then when Rob Havenstein wants to hang it up, here's a player that has played left tackle and is very, very comfortable at right tackle doing so as he did in 2022 at BYU. So, uh, you know, this is a kid that, you know, maybe Puka had Puka goggles on a little bit as I was scouting this player, but definitely a kid that could come in and help the Rams immediately. Yeah. I, it, team, you know, Sewell's cousin, the, the, the bloodline is strong in this one. It, it's all, I, somebody that I, and I, I hate to say this, but it, it, it does feel like over the years of the Rams in the Sean McVay era, there has been some O-line, you know, mess ups and injuries and to have somebody yeah. that has experience on left and right, uh, even if he's not, you know, perfect against the run, I I think that could be, be just somebody that can be plugged in immediately, which it's is really a, what you're looking for. It's it's a way to kind of find your future left tackle or right tackle without spending first round capital, without spending a first, you know, top ten pick or having to go spend a ton of money in free agency to do so. In bringing in like an Andrew Whitworth, a kid that you can kind of draft and develop. And, you know, Nick, to your point, they've been doing that. They've been trying to do it with guys like Warren McClendon, Trayman Akram, and some other late-round picks that they've gotten throughout the last couple of drafts. But not the kind of kid that I feel like has this kind of ability, athleticism, similar to uh, Suomataya. So um, uh, Kingsley Suomataya, really, really good player, really, really fun name to pronounce. 
shares the bloodline with Penny Sewell, definitely is really, really good friends with Puka Nakua. Um, so I feel like there's some familiarity, was a team captain. Um, so just a, a, a player that all coaches and other players on the team have all grown to really love. I, I mean, just personally, I feel like a lot of what is like loved in this Rams organization is being able to like find guys for cheap, like maybe newer, like more recently, as opposed to like the Von Millers and the Andrew Whitworths, it's like finding like gems, diamonds in the rough. And, you know, he absolutely stands out in that, in that regard. It's also anytime you bring in O-line help, I, a lot of the Ram scheme is based in letting Stafford sit back, letting the play develop. So more than anything, having a strong O-line is prominent in this organization. I think that's why it hasn't worked so well for some of these guys that they drafted because yeah. they're going to need to hold these, you know. It's a tougher responsibility. And I think in this this most recent year, as they're developing the new run scheme and they're more reliant on double teams up front, it's alleviating some of the stress of these offensive linemen, right? Yeah. So like a guy a guy like Kingsley uh, Suomataya – can come in and maybe not start right away, but can develop, learn the system and work on some of his imperfections, which are the run game because he excels in pass pro. Um, that's why I feel like he'd be a good fit for this team. You don't want him to start right away, but you want him to be able to start right yeah, away. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You want him to be able to compete, compete right yeah. away. So the next player is probably going to be controversial. So Dane Bugler comes out every year with um, this incredible big board for the athletic. But right now there's a hundred players that are ranked within his big board. I don't think his, his finalized big board is, is completely wrapped up yet. So he had eight quarterback prospects in the top 100. The guy that we're going to talk about is not on this list. So Caleb Williams is the number one prospect. Drake Maine is number four. Jaden Daniels is number eight. JJ McCarthy's number 24. Bo Nix is 37. Michael Penix Jr. is 57, 88 is Spencer Rattler, and 100 is Michael Pratt. I originally was going to talk about Bo Nix. There are things about Bo Nix's game that I like a lot. And then I went back and I watched Jordan Travis. And I think the injury and FSU's inability to get to the Final Four for the college playoff took a little bit of, of joy and fun away from the season that Jordan Travis had. Like the mobility and escapability – Everything that you would want to see in a modern-day quarterback is there. He's a little bit frail, 6'1", 215, but a lot of these guys are. Nick, we were talking about before the episode started, how tall is Caleb, 6'1"? What does C.J. Stroud look like? What does Bryce Young look like? Do they translate to the NFL? Some guys do, some guys don't. So it's a really, really difficult evaluation process. But I feel like from an athlete standpoint, excellent. He's an excellent athlete for the position. He has the ability to change arm angles. He throws off platform and he has improved every single year as a passer in his college career. And I feel like unique acceleration, being able to get out of the pocket, even when you're in the pocket, he has a very, very unique escapability, which is hundred percent required in the league right now. When the pass rush is beating down on him time after time, again, you can watch the tape. He stands tall in the pocket and can deliver under pressure. As you saw towards the end of the 2023 season, Prior to that injury in November that took him off the field, I just I look at guys at the quarterback position who have avoided really, really dumb turnovers, who have avoided really, really dumb mistakes. When you hear some of these quarterbacks talk, the Peyton, the Elis, the Tony Romos of the world, so much of the position is about mitigating mistakes. And he's a very, very well-regarded leader by his teammates, by his coaches. He feels like he's already a pro's pro. He's not going to go 
in the top two rounds. He might not even go in the top three rounds, um, but he's going to go down as one of the best players in Florida State's history. And even though his future is murky and a career-ending, likely a career-ending leg injury um, at, at, from a college perspective took him out, he was going to go probably outside of the top 75, but not too much further outside of that. So a guy that I really like, 27 total touchdowns at seven on the ground, 20 in the air, only had two interceptions. Um, the quarterback position, I feel like, is just a really hard evaluation outside of the top couple of guys this year. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with with what you just said that it's a very it's very hard to evaluate top talent. I also here's the thing with the quarterback position: how many years do you think Stafford has left as being the starting quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams? <laughs> two. Two. Oh, okay. I thought you'd say like three or four. So two. Maybe so I would hope three, but you know, who knows what the next couple of years are going to bring. If he gets one more ring, I, you just don't know. Right. Okay. Yeah. I. And if he gets a ring, I think that the problem of getting the, the next guy, that's a whole different issue. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking more three to four. Um, and if the, if the answer truly is three to four, I don't think this is the draft to go out and get a quarterback, I think you re-sign Carson Wentz and you call it, and maybe Stenson Bennett can be emergency third string if he's okay enough to be in the building. And I think I think that's that. I, Regardless of this Jordan Davis, you know, kid, they're all – everyone, you, we, we talked about before the episode started, they're all 6'1". They're <laughs> all like around 215 pounds. I mean, call me old fashioned, but I want my quarterback to be like taller and be able to like see over the offensive line. Like, know, yeah, it's, it's it's just not like six two Mahomes, and then there's the Russell Wilsons that are five eleven. The Drew Breeses of the world, like I, that's what I was thinking about when I was looking at Bo Nix. I'm like trying to find like a Drew Brees comp. But then like I look at a guy like Drake Means, the only one that's six foot four, um, and he's probably going to be the second overall pick in the draft. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, really, really tough quarterback evaluation process. Um, you could probably look later on in the draft, try and bring somebody in in the sixth or seventh round if you feel like it's necessary. But I like your plan. Like I yeah. like bringing back Carson Wentz, seeing what you have with Stenson Bennett, and then maybe looking next year to try and find somebody that is like a Jordan Love type player in the first round. Yeah, I I also think it was a, like if you truly felt Jordan Love was good to go, I think it was a mistake to hide him for as long as they did. Sure. Um, because Agreed. I think you know this year they could have been more ready than – they were if he had that playoff experience behind them, like already. Um, and I also just everything that you said, or at least some things that you said, I had to like kind of mark because it's exactly what they were saying about Sense and Bennett last year avoided mistakes, well regarded leader. And sure. but like neither of them, it, like he has different kind it, of it's uh, like a bad ex. It's like, yeah, like he was like the, the redhead that you dated. That was so crazy. And you're like, oh, my God, I don't know why I would ever do that. I'm never, ever going to date a redhead again. And that's what I feel about them drafting, like, this, like, backup yeah, Jordan I Love it. role. I, I just don't want to see them do that in the in that, like, mid-round and waste a pick when there is a lot of talent on the board. Well, because they just did it. You know, they just spent a fourth-round pick on Stetson Bennett. So I get it. But to, to completely different players, yeah, understand, but, un, but completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. entirely the last guy is a bonus this guy is 
just a freak. Like I, I wanted to bring three players to the table. We did, but there's a fourth as a bonus. So I think we're up to like 14, 15 players right now as we continuously build the big board. This guy though, just stuck out and it's probably going to be a day three pick. And it's probably going to be a player that, you know, safeties are either top picks or they fall like into rounds four, five, six, like a Jordan Fuller type player. Um, and we're probably going to need to replace both him and John Johnson, the third. So you kind of yeah. got to start to look in this category as well at safety. Uh, this is a player that I just, I fell in love with, um, watched him, you know, a little bit during the season, the college football season, but never was a player outside of his size that I was able to catch on tape and see to myself like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. But as you go back and you watch him and you look at some of his ability to be versatile, like some of the things that he can do from the safety position, being able to rush the passer, defend against the run, everything in between, you know, like a Kyle Fuller type player. For the Baltimore Ravens, you saw how effective he was throughout the playoffs. Um, kind of like a do-it-all safety. A guy that can play in the box, a guy that can play um, free safety, a guy that plays center field a little bit when necessary. Um, but he's built like a future Hall of Fame safety. Like he finds the ball in the air, he makes a play on it, and he lacks a little bit of the on-field experience, but could be one of those day three superstars that turns into you know, one of the, the better defensive players in the league. Just, I mean, 6'3", 215 pounds, Sean Taylor-like size. Hall of Fame-like size. Um, but there are obviously some things, some technicality things within his game that need to be refined. But a player that I feel like would have to start, would come in and would immediately have to start for the Rams. I think it's a role that you need somebody, like whoever we draft in the safety position is going yeah. to have to start. So, And it's so, a, yeah, another I, guy that can play special teams as well. Yeah, so. yeah, 100%. John Johnson was a one-year rental. I think we all yeah. know it. But, you, yeah. know. You, you might have to have one or two more rentals on the roster this year, but not as many as you had this previous year, and maybe yeah. not as many at starting positions. Right. So. And I mean, that kind of comes back to Demarcus Robinson. It's like, is he going to be yep. a rental? You know, I'm, I'm fine renting Carson once for a year, you know, there you go. like yep. it's, I think that's inevitable. I think, you know, you can win a big games if you have rentals around you, but if you have like, you know, the pillars, which we continuously talk about. Yep, exactly. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, make sure that you like, and subscribe. You know, it's funny. Go Rams. Go Rams, obviously. Jaden Hicks, 6'3", 215 pounds. He's exactly the size of the quarterback I would in my dreams. <laughs> Just two inches taller. You know, two yeah. to the team, though, slim. So him, stand, Jaden Hicks, standing right next to Matthew Stafford, exact same size, exact same height, exact same weight. So I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I get it. I get it. The, the draft process, finding prospects... It's just being a scout is just so insanely difficult. But to be able to fit, find some guys that we feel like fits this Rams' regime um, is is a hell of a lot of fun. And we're going to have some more coming at you over the next couple of months. I just have a that's a Raven vision that with like their second round pick or third round pick, the Rams select J.J. McCarthy. And I let out a Tom scream from Tom and Jerry. <laughs> Please don't. Can you give us one as we're signing off? The Rams select in the first round, 19th overall pick, J.J. McCarthy from Michigan. <laughs> well done, you Looney Tune. Signing off. Go Rams. I away from the camera. I wish you were closer to the camera. Why'd you go so far away? Because I thought it would blow everybody's, you know, <laughs> if somebody's listening on their, on their drive home. <laughs> oh, go Rams. Talk to you guys soon. Peace.